This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast gives you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today I'm joined by Robert Harrison, who is Head of Research at Progeny, and Jamie Ward, who is Head of Investment Solutions at AJ Bell. Hello both, and thanks very much for joining us. I think we'll... um, We'll jump straight into some questions. Uh, You're both here to talk about asset allocation trends, but with kind of a particular focus on regional asset allocation. Um, So, yeah, a senior research analyst at Morningstar recently said that um, traditional ways of categorizing funds, notably, you know, regional categorization was becoming increasingly irrelevant. Um, So we're talking about, you know, UK small cap equity funds or a Japan fund, for example. Um, Do you agree, Jamie? Let's start with you. To an extent, yeah. Um, It's certainly true that um, sort of various different equity classes across different geographies and and indeed different market caps are really quite highly correlated. So it doesn't really matter whether you're holding Japanese large caps or or you happen to own uh, European mid caps. If one goes down a lot, the other's going to go down a lot. So that sort of reduces your sort of diversification benefit by holding them both. What we've tried to do uh, at AJ Bell is to sort of separate the world out in terms of not just geography, but perhaps sectors where you might actually find there's a slightly greater geographic, uh, sorry, a greater diversification benefit. Um, Now, clearly, certain sectors might be quite highly, highly correlated with a particular geography. For example, your basic resources are going to be highly correlated with an economy that is basic resource um, dominated. The problem we have is is actually implementation. So whilst we can do the work and we do do the work to discover exactly what's the best way of of putting together a global portfolio in terms of the sort of efficient frontier of trying to optimise your portfolio for a given level of risk, what we actually find is often the best solution isn't actually practicable. So um, you may wish to break down the world into global sectors and entirely get rid of the the geography side of things, but it's not actually possible. Um, And and the the secondary point to that is is about cost. So even where it is possible, often you'll find it's prohibitively expensive. So what our sort of philosophy is, the best thing we can do is to offer clear straightforward solutions at the best possible cost and to sort of give you an example you know we we could you can uh, invest in us large caps sort of the s&p 500 effectively in an etf form for very very few basis points if we wanted to do say a global energy sector then it'll be multiples of that basis points and and that's a real quite important consideration to make when you're trying to build that portfolio so sort of to, to sort of conclude the, the, the answer to your question is yes, there is there is other ways of, of, of breaking up the world to try and build a, a slightly better sort of diversification matrix. 
but the reality of implementation is actually very difficult to do. And Rob, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, to as I agree with what um, Jamie said on the practical implementation of it, um, I think from our side, keeping a geographical split is still quite important. Um, different markets do behave in different ways. Um, I agree with Jamie on that if you have UK small cap and European small cap, there is a large correlation there. Um, but when you split into geographies, it is much easier to manage on a practical basis. And we find you can control risk a lot better. Uh, what we've seen a lot in the industry is thematic investing coming in and people buying tech funds, clean energy funds, robo-innovation funds. And the correlation between these is very high. And practically implementing this in a broader sense of a portfolio is you're likely to miss out quite large sectors. Um, so a lot of what Jamie said I do agree with. Um, but the way we do it is we've kept it on a geographical basis. Um, I thought it was a very good point on the US side of if you look at the statistics in US, it's very hard to outperform US large cap and the cost benefit to go passive in that space um, is really beneficial for clients, yet you can specialise more and go for an active US mid and small cap manager um, because as the statistics show they can produce a lot more alpha in that space. Yeah, th that's really interesting. So would you say it has more been um, recent kind of market events that have shaped the way that you as investment managers think about allocating regionally? Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, there's been a bit of a trend towards uh, looking, I mean, thematically is probably a good way of putting it, but looking towards sectors as a potential way of doing it, be just because that is one of the ways you can implement it. And that's been going back a couple of years. In terms of the recent market events, and, and this is actually a, an interesting point on geographic diversification, is we know that most economies are fairly highly correlated to it. And actually, where you end up getting a difference is, is in places like what's been happening with Russia. So Russia, to own Russian assets, hasn't really added a great deal of diversification benefit. I mean, it might have done because you were effectively owning a lot of basic resources. But from kind of a broad equity basis, it's not a great deal. But what it has done is expose you to idiosyncratic risk, which may not have existed elsewhere. So it's sort of current market events are sort of... Um, forcing us to to assess to, to, to make sure we're, we're, we are we are happy with the kind of idiosyncratic thing but the, the thing about idiosyncratic risk is it's not quantifiable so it ends up being quite a difficult conversation and a difficult process did you want to add anything rob um from our side we the recent market events hasn't changed our thinking um if anything i've said the last five six years the industry's gone more thematic and we've seen more investment managers move money into specialized funds um, for us, having the geographical diversification um, has really benefited us over the last well, 12 months, really. Um, I would say on the geographical side, we we look at it as sector basis as well. So for like the UK is heavily invested in um, the oil, gas, mining industries, yet US is clearly large cap US tech dominates. Um, so the way we try to play it on the sector basis is we know which geographies have the higher um, sector weighting, so we play it around that. Um, but our view is what's happened in recent events is keep the geographical diversification there because, I said, the Russian, the Russian example, to own just Russian equities, if you wanted just oil and gas, you might have been overexposed to that area 
yet breaking up geographies gives you more control of which geopolitical regions you can try to avoid. Absolutely. You, and Rob, you just kind of touched on this, but I'd love to know, um, as investment managers, how do you both kind of balance eyeing up regional opportunities with not wanting to make kind of knee-jerk reactions to uh, short-term market movements? Uh, Jamie? Um, we uh, we tend to try and move slowly and not break things. It's, it's sort of our bit of a philosophy. So um, we are, we I think like a lot of people, we, we run quite diligent uh, capital market assumptions um, and that drives our strategic asset allocation we don't tend to tinker very much so um, we will tilt if the capital market assumptions and the sort of benefits diversification are clear towards a particular either geography or even indeed asset class um, but no we, 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 we wouldn't we wouldn't sort of we're not making bets. We're not. We're not trying to trying to second guess what the market's going to do next based on whatever hap- whatever hap- happens to be happening. Did you have anything to add, Rob? Yeah, from from our side, um, we're very process driven. Um, so we, with our asset allocation, it's driven by uh, CMA data, um, and what we stick to our process. Uh, a lot of our philosophy is in managing emotional risk. Um, so what we don't want to do is see headlines, react very quickly, um, the emotions of the investor coming in their situations. Um, we look at long-term data, we do look at shorter-term CMA data, um, but we have quite strict, quite tight restrictions around our asset allocation to really save us from ourselves from making binary bets in single regions. Um, similar to what Jamie said, we look at, we've got our SAA approach, we have a TAA overlay um, but we tilt the portfolio towards regions we we wouldn't exit a complete geography or go 25 percent overweight in a region um, we think that the risk is too great to clients sure 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 so something like um you know how we've seen certain emerging market uh economies like brazil for example i think they've seen um quite substantial returns at the beginning of this year. And I think people have kind of attributed that to less commodities coming out of Russia, something like that, where it might be for the foreseeable future, um, there might be investment opportunities there. But again, it's based on a, a you know, a, a macroeconomic event, right? Um, how would you view that? It wouldn't be much more than simply noted that's what's what, what's happening. Um, you know, and that's an ex post sort of assessment. The only real benefit you can get from from uh, a a particular geography or asset class doing well is if you know ahead of the event. And you know, hands up, we're not smart enough to know that, so we don't try and second guess things. We we try and make, maintain that broad spread, and and you know, as I mentioned earlier, just tilt when the CMA and the SAA dictates that that's what we should do. As 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 with Robert, we are you know very process driven with this. We try we try and take the sort of emotion out of it because we're trying to be a steady, dependable, reliable place to invest. And you can't do that if you're constantly trying to put the kind of human overlay onto onto the rules. Sure. Would you agree agree, Rob? Yeah, no, I, I agree with um what Jamie said on that. I think the only point I'd add is when we when you look at regions like Brazil, uh, in the whole grand scheme of things, the size of their economy and their market compared to the world. Um, we would generally have just emerging market funds and we would, if we are 
a passive or systematic product in that place, the market cap would reflect that. If we have an active manager in that place, they would, we would trust them to go that specific on, on a region like Brazil. Uh, the only other thing I'd add in that is one, one trend I've, I have seen over the last few years is within emerging markets in Asia, people are trying to split out the regions a lot more. Um, so we've seen the big emergence of China funds, of India funds. Um, and this is one trend in geographical allocations we've started to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to kind of circle back to this where we're talking about regional asset allocation. But are there any other consideration when it comes to asset allocation that you think have become more or less important over time, whether that be like you, you touched on like sectors and kind of thematic allocations uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts, uh, Jamie? Well, I mean, clearly the big emergence we've had over, over a few years is, is, is the emergence of ESG investing and ESG considerations. Um, <clears throat> and, and this it affects both specific ESG mandates, or, or we refer to as responsible investing, but ESG mandates and non-ESG mandates. Um, for example, actually referring, returning to that sector point, um, what we're seeing is more and more products which which might allow us to uh, invest in a specific sector or theme but very often there is an ESG overlay on what they're doing already so if I had to guess I would say over the next few years it would be easier might not be the right word but more convenient to reflect differing views in a specific ESG mandate than a non-ESG mandate or in your non-ESG mandate, actually using ESG products in order to sort of um, implement what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Can I ask where um, where would you find that drive is primarily coming from? Is it investor demand? Is it more regulation driven um, for, for you personally? It seems to me that it's coming more top down. Um, there's, there's clearly a lot of regulations coming in. Uh, Europe might be a tiny bit ahead, but... UK regulation with, with regards to Article 6, 8 and 9, but the UK is very close behind. Um, it sort of starts at corporates and corporates have to have ESG mandates and then investors have to have ESG, ESG mandates. Um, we we do have, I mean, we, we run several funds and we do have some responsible funds and we launch the responsible funds later than the non-responsible ones, but certainly the weight of money is not in the responsible, which would imply to me that actually the the demand is possibly not quite as strong as uh, as the supply coming from the regulator. Sure. What are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, around especially the point on ESG, and uh, I do think it's been driven a lot from the top down, as Jamie said, that with the new regulations coming in, with advisors needing to speak to clients about it. Um, but what we've noticed is, as advisors have spent more time speaking to clients about it, there has been an uptick in in the assets we have. So we we run two ESG mandates, we run a, a systematic ESG mandate and we run, a, run an active ESG mandate. Um, and since launch, we've taken quite a lot of assets in. Um, it was a lot more than I expected. Um, I think the interesting thing for ESG is in the last five years, ESG has generally outperformed uh, standard investing. Um, but over the last 12 months, ESG has actually been quite a, a headwind for for investing. So it'll be interesting to see if 
now we start to see defence companies come back, tobacco, oil and gas, mining. If this is a trend where people are going to switch back or if the ESG uh, investing continues at the pace it has been. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, turning back to kind of regional asset allocation, um, are there any specific uh, markets that look appealing to you or have looked appealing to you for some time, uh, Jamie? Uh not not particularly. We were quite we're quite broad. I mean, the the UK actually in the last twelve months or so has appeared quite good uh, through the process. Effectively, you know, your CMAs are showing that the UK look look pretty good. Um, mm. But again, I mean, you could break that back down to regions again and say, well, as as Rob was saying, the UK is very resource heavy. It's very old industry heavy. It's very value oriented. So it's if you have a kind of systematic. CMA process that, that feeds into an SAA, you will likely see that things like the UK will look quite good. But the way we've had it, the way we've implemented it is actually because we've we've broken out a portion of our equities into into regions where we can implement. So we've probably ended up tilting UK, but not directly. We, we, we're sort of tilting into slightly more value sectors, or we have mm-hmm. been. Um, whether that continues uh, will be somewhat dependent on the forthcoming SAA. Yeah. And what about you, Rob? Any kind of particular regions that have caught your eye? Yeah, so we've been um, overweight UK uh, for some period of time now. Uh, on the valuation metric, it looks um, it looks very attractive from the CMA data we get. Uh, from latest CMA data we're looking at, if you look at the UK as a whole, it's actually got cheaper over the year. Uh, I know the index has stayed the same, but it's been driven by about 20 stocks and their earnings have increased significantly. Um, so we have had this UK waiting, and we, at this moment in time, we are we are keeping with that. Um, the one that's probably looking more interesting, but there is more risk around it, is emerging market, especially China, um, making up such a big part of that region. Um, so we spent the data we've been getting recently, and the drawdown we've seen out there, um, we are seeing quite a big uh, valuation gap to the to historic um, averages. Um, but within that, there is obviously a lot of risk of what is going on in China with the continued lockdown. And if there is more economic uncertainty, um, EM is a, is a risk asset that would potentially underperform in that environment. Um, but that's one place that we have seen a material derating the last six months or so. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Okay, thank you. And what about areas that you may have decreased allocation to? Again, whether that be sort of on purpose or just by way of looking at other factors like valuations, et cetera. Uh, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, once again, it, it, it's the same sort of process that led to the <clears throat> sort of positivity around the UK, which would be around the US. And again, you know, the US is, is usually dominated by what have historically been very expensive tech companies, which are clearly a lot less expensive than they were. Um, but again, this is very, very slight tilts. So we're, not, we're not making a big bets here. Sure. Rob? Um, our process has had the same. Um, it's been we have had a an underweight to US. Um, the, this, even though we've seen a pullback in US markets um, from historical averages and compared to the rest of the world, um, our data is still saying, um, especially US large cap looks expensive. The I suppose when we talk about geographical allocation, we we also sort of split it into mid and small and large cap. Um, so we'll wait. We might keep our geographic allocation the same, but we might wait towards middle, small, or large, depending on 
where the valuation is in that market. Are you kind of noticing a pattern in the questions that you're getting from advisors or investors recently about uh, asset allocation in their investments? Not particularly, no, if I'm honest. Um, most uh, advisors. That's good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really change a great deal. I mean, <clears throat> you, you certainly have seen a slight uptick in questions about a ESG, but that's a long term thing. And occasionally, you, you, I mean, something that you wouldn't have got five years ago, someone might a- ask about a cryptocurrency or something, to which, you know, we don't, we don't invest. But not really, no. It, most things are fairly, fairly, um, fairly static, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. And Rob? Uh, yeah. So we've seen it a lot in the US and the UK. Um, in those areas, again, we are we are very process driven. Um, and we do look at a lot of data around where we can outperform as well. Um, so something like the US um, will go mid and small active um, in that space because the data tells us we can find managers to outperform. But within that space, we've, we've chosen a manager that's much less volatile than the index. Um, so it's, it's really when we get into construction of it is, is how we build the portfolio around looking at what the cost is going to be, what the volatility is, um, but we're very so data and process driven to get to this conclusion. Sure, and 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 yeah. So so when you respond to those questions, is it really just about reassuring clients, and what are you kind of telling them? Um, shorter term, we have a lot of questions around Europe, um, and we have questions around fixed interest. Um, so there's been a lot of a lot of questions around what bonds have done and how they've behaved. Um, so that's been a big, big amount of our time to be talking about that. Um, but also Europe, um, especially with the invasion of uh, Russia and Ukraine and the reliance on Germany for um, gas from Russia. Um, that's been a big question of how bad can this get? Do we want to be anywhere near Europe? Um, our view is to have diversified portfolios and will underweight and overweight regions depending on our process and data. Uh, would never exclude a region, but I'd say there has been more questions of you don't want to be anywhere near Europe right now, um, move out to other regions. It's all reassuring them about sort of looking at the long term. Um, so we all know regions will behave in different time periods and different macro events. Having that broadly diversified split of assets will smooth out the client journey. And what we're saying is we're not here to make binary bets to say we don't want to be in Europe or we actually think Europe looks cheap and we want to be 30% of the portfolio. Doing that might work once or twice, but in the long term, it's impossible to do. Um, so it's just reminding we will have exposure everywhere and it's just smoothing out that journey. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions for me or our two guests today, uh, you can reach out. I'm at nblackburn at citywire.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter. We're at New Model Advisor. Thank you both for joining me and everyone again for listening. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.